on the renewed max side, we're doing about a hundred thousand a month in sales there right now. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how they transition from selling exclusively on eBay to their own website, what are the assets you can bring over from eBay to your own website, and how to use LinkedIn to drive more traffic and sales to your store. Before our show, I wanted to let you know about Shopify Inbox. It's a brand new free sales channel you can set up right now in your admin. With Inbox, you can manage all the customer conversations from your store and social media in one place. Plus, chat anywhere, anytime using the mobile app or on the web. Most importantly, Inbox can help you close sales since 70% of Shopify Inbox conversations are with customers making a purchasing decision. Use the power of chat to turn browsers into buyers. For more information, visit shopify.com slash chat. Today I'm joined by Brian Burke from Sell Your Mac and Renewed Macs. Sell Your Mac and Renewed Macs buys and sells the complete lineup of Apple devices, delighting customers with a fast, safe, and easy trade in service, and was started in 2009 and based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Felix. Thanks a lot for having me on. Excited to talk to all your Shopify listeners. Yeah, excited to have you on. So let's start from the beginning. So 2009, um, I wouldn't say you are the longest running business that I've had on this show, but that's definitely a a long time in the e-commerce space. Talk to us about how you got into this kind of line of business to begin with. Well, I've always loved e-commerce. You know, it started off back in the day on eBay, mainly uh, buying and selling stuff on there. And then in 2009, I realized I needed an inbound sales channel. So that's when I built SellYourMac.com to help us, uh, you know, get cus- get customers uh, coming to our website and paying them for Apple products and not having to just go through eBay. So yeah, we've been kind of growing that business ever since then organically. And you know, each year we keep it going and help help out more Apple customers. Yeah, you're one of the businesses that I feel like I have heard of or seen around for a long time. Ever you know, before we we asked you to to come onto the show, and uh, yeah, you mentioned that you started on on eBay. And I think a lot of listeners out there have either considered or are currently on like a marketplace, like an eBay or Amazon or Etsy or something, and are thinking about this transition. And talk to us about like why this kind of inbound sales channel, having your own like your platform, was important. I think the biggest thing for us is really controlling the customer experience. And that's the reason we actually launched our Shopify store because, you know, on eBay, they have kind of stripped away more and more of the ability to control the customer experience and talk to your customers. You know, just for instance, when someone makes a purchase, you get some uh, generic email. You can't even reach out to them directly on email. So, you know, knowing we could uh, control the customer experience better and interact with our customers more, that was really the reason that drove us to launch our Shopify store. And, you know, we think the customer experience is what's going to keep people coming back. So if you can't control that and they don't know you as your own brand, uh, you're not going to have these customers very long. Was it kind of like almost a commodity business on eBay, like a race to the bottom? Like, What was your experience that made you realize, OK, we need to own the or at least control the customer experience? I wouldn't say race to the bottom because we're still getting really good pricing on there. But just the fact that some, when someone comes back to buy their next computer, they're not going to necessarily remember to go search for our mm-hmm. eBay name. Versus, I think they're going to remember the Renewed Max website 
So trying to kind of build that trust for the future and, you know, being able to delight our customers in that manner, I think is really important. You know, if we can't even uh, directly email our customers, you know, special offers or send them a gift or anything like that, because we don't have their information, that's pretty tough. That makes sense. So during this transition from from like a platform, like a marketplace like eBay to your own website, did you have any kind of assets or anything to help you kick it off better than if someone were just to kind of start from scratch without the experience or the the business that was already done on a marketplace? I think probably the biggest thing that helped us was having all the content to put up. You know, one of the best things I've done through my company since we started is really focusing on building a ton of content. And mainly for SEO purposes. And that's helped sell your Mac kind of be the number one go-to source for everything Mac on Google. You know, if you type in where to sell my Mac, we're number one on there. So we kind of had a lot of, you know, content built up and blogs and images. And that's the images I think in particular really helped us out when we were launching renewed Macs. So we could, you know, sync up the images of all the products correctly and always, you know, make sure we're showing the customer the right thing. And there's, I think there's about 3,000 uh, different images that we, you know, had to, had to pull together some type of variation. So a lot, a lot of different stuff in the back end. Mm, makes sense. So we, we mentioned uh, two websites at the start of this, uh, and we'll get into your, your third website a little, a little, a little bit later in a completely different industry. So teaser out there. So sell your Mac. Was that launched before Renewed Mac? So give us an idea of the timing. Correct. So sell your Mac launched in 2009. And at the time, we were still selling mainly on eBay. You know, we work with other retail stores and wholesale buyers as well. But we really want to work you know, directly with the customer. We, we see the most value in going to the end user, uh, both from the standpoint that we can, you know, sell them a computer that's been fully tested, you know, 12-month warranty and stuff like that, um, as opposed to just selling it, you know, wholesale. So that that's kind of why we needed to build the store is that direct that direct customer experience on Shopify is amazing. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you're. I think one of the unique things about your business model is that most people will start a store or website to to bring in kind of demand. You start to sell your Mac as a way for to solve the supply side for inventory, like procurement. Yeah. What were the challenges with that kind of business? Because again, it's not something that I don't think many people think about uh, starting a business like that. What were some of the unique challenges, especially since you've now started the other side, the demand side with Renewed Max? What are some of the unique challenges with uh, the supply side of a business like yours? One of the challenges we had was with capital. I mean, as you're buying more product, you need a lot more inventory. You got the hold to be able to have kind of a wider product mix for your customer. And, you know, we're purchasing these products before we actually sell them, um, which, I'm, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people obviously are procuring inventory to sell on Shopify and they're having to prepay and stuff, too. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to grow your business uh, quickly. You need to have a, a really good credit line. And if you don't have, uh, you know, multi, multiple years of financials, a typical bank usually won't give you a good credit line. So trying to find a way to you know, either not pay for your inventory until after you sell it or, you know, pre-sell it perhaps, um, got kind of get creative in order to grow your business quickly with, you know, a little bit of money. So I think that was probably our, our biggest challenge out of the gate was just, you know, getting enough sales volume and enough profit to support a better inventory level. 
Yeah, and I think one of the things when you are buying from like a manufacturer, I'm sure there's going to be listeners out there, and I've had guests that have had horror stories around this, but I think for the most part, it's probably a little more consistency or standardization with the products that you're getting. When you are buying from regular consumers, how did you kind of manage that risk of not really knowing for sure what kind of product you get from one day to the next? Like you said, it's not that consistent. You know, there's thousands of Apple SKUs out there. So, I mean, if someone's starting out, they could certainly, you know, hone what they're buying, you know, focus on certain years or certain device types, you know, like focus on iPhone, for example, and not worry about all the Macs. Uh, so, you know, we we do know a lot about the product when we're getting it. And not that every time it comes in as described, but, you know, we request serial numbers uh, up front so we can kind of confirm what exactly what the specs are. And we do check everything once it arrives to make sure it all matches and communicate if it doesn't. Um, but that is definitely a challenge. So I think having a smaller product mix would be a great advantage for someone starting out. Yeah, and, and we talked about this before we hit record, which is the this this basically you are starting your own almost like your own marketplace to some degree. You again controlling the supply and and the demand yeah. side. Were there certain points where you're like, wow, there's just way too much demand, way too much supply? Like, how do you kind of find a balance in that kind of business model? It's certainly tough. I mean, this last year, especially, there was insane demand at the start of the pandemic, mm. but there was no supply. You know, on the on the wholesale buying side, all the businesses were closed and they didn't have anything they could sell you. And all the consumers were needing their devices or passing them down to their kids to do school at home and stuff like that. Uh, so it really dried up and it messed, it messed with the pricing in the market and people were paying crazy prices. And, then, you know, then it came crashing down you know, kind of halfway through the pandemic. So, I mean, my takeaway on that is, you know, only holding enough inventory that, that you really need because prices do fluctuate a lot. But if you see an opportunity to, to stock up, whether it's you know, before the holidays or something like that, you need to, you need to take advantage. It's hard to, hard to sell something you don't have in stock. Yes. Yeah, so, so and when you started this in, in 2009, where you're probably, you know, what you're definitely were for sure, operating at with much lower inventory, a lower kind of turnover than you do today. Yeah. Was was there a certain point throughout this where you're like, okay, now there's a scale where things feel more stable? Because imagine the very beginning, there's probably people wanting specific things or selling you specific things that you couldn't find a match for and vice versa. Was there a certain point where like, you kind of hit a stride where it's okay, now there's enough inventory that things, it almost feels more like, a, again, more like a shop rather than you're like, you know, bartering between people. I think it took probably five or six years to get to that level that we had a kind of a wide breadth of inventory and enough of it um, that, you know, satisfy most people. But we honestly still run into this challenge. I mean, if you only ask for a specific unit, I'm, you know, I might not have it. Um, and it, the inventory turns, you know, pretty quickly. So I might have had it, you know, two days ago, but not today. So it is, it is a challenge trying to keep the, the right amount of SKUs in stock. And, you know, our technology doesn't, doesn't go to the point that it knows uh, to, need to need to buy one SKU as it's selling out. But we do, our pricing model does adjust, you know, for our inventory. If we're super heavily stocked on something, we're not going to, you know, keep paying, uh, you know, top dollar for it. So it's like kind of constantly adjusting for what our inventory is and helping us, you know, try to get out to the market and, and find what we need. Yeah, you know, one thing that I've noticed too when I'm when I'm on Renewed Max, and I'm sure when you were selling on on eBay as well, was that it's very kind of tech 
specific or tech driven rather you put the specs right out there when i'm kind of browsing the shop which i think is a little bit more again technically heavy than if you went to like apple.com and try to buy a laptop are you catering more towards a certain demographic that's like knows exactly what they want knows about what an ssd is knows about what a you know 2.4 gigahertz core is like how uh, how much education is involved in making sure that the consumer is not coming here and like being overwhelmed by oh man there's so many different numbers that I'm confused. <laughs> it's a great point. Now that you mention it, maybe there are too many numbers. Um, you know, the biggest thing I think versus Apple is that Apple's only selling their current line of products. And if you went to their, you know, refurbished or clearance store, for example, they it gets a little bit more tech heavy mm-hmm. on the specs. But, you know, nowadays they're like, we have the new iPad Pro. We have the latest MacBook Air. It just kind of, you know, is what it is. Versus, you know, we're kidding or a market that, you know, is buying, you know, renewed devices. And it is the the specs out there, you know, typically we want to tell a customer everything we possibly can to help avoid any questions um, about the specs. But I can see your point that, you know, potentially making it easier for someone to understand what they're getting. And we did uh, start something called a take a product quiz. And I think, um, I don't know which product quiz app we use, but I know there's a lot out there that integrate with Shopify. And that's really helped us increase our conversion significantly because if someone comes to the site, like you said, they don't know exactly what they're looking for. They start that quiz, you know, narrow it down, you know, 13 inch, I need, you know, maybe this type of year, this type of memory, and it tells them the exact options that work for them. So it makes it kind of really easy if you don't know all the specs to kind of just describe your work and find the product that's right for you. Mm, makes sense. So when you were when you were launching the, this business on get on the supply side, uh, how were you driving traffic? Like, what were you doing to get people to? Um, it, well, maybe we'll start there. But and I have a, but I have a question about like how does that change when you're on the demand side? But on the supply side, first, what's the marketing techniques to get people to to help you with the, the supply chain? Ours is mostly organic, uh, which you know kind of stemmed from being a bootstrapped startup. You know, we didn't raise any money to plow into our marketing and we don't have anyone that does marketing besides me. But uh, we you know, did create a lot of content, you know, around each Apple computer that's come out in the last you know, 12 years or so. And that's helped drive a lot of people to the website. So, you know, if you search for a specific Apple product in the past, you know, there's only a few companies that tend to have a lot of content around it. And so that's helped us out a lot. Um, and then you're making sure that we really figured out what, what keywords we really wanted to go after and continually making content that in- includes those words. And so I, you know, we've added like thousands of pages to the website for each Apple device basically that's come out. And, you know, that's, that's our biggest strategy is just constantly staying up on the SEO side. Yeah, let's talk about that because I think you mentioned that one of the biggest assets coming over from having all these product listings and all these images uh, on a platform like eBay to now your own website. And then you also mentioned how organic's the main driver for your, a lot of your marketing. Talk to yeah. us more about what is the the kind of content or SEO strategy. We need to do more on the renewed Mac side, but on the, the Slider Mac side, it's been a lot around creating individual pages for each device. So, you know, we systematically kind of, you know, pulled all the specs together and created these pages and tell customers, you know, what these products are. So when people are searching for them, they'll land on there and then they have the option to buy or sell that device. 
So that that brings in a that brings in a lot of traffic. And, and I can imagine that again, there's just so many variations, configurations that that matter. And you're looking to match on those specific configurations. Like, what is is that all automated? Like, what's your? Because I'm, I'm I'm not sure how many how many other industries this can apply to for listeners out there. But if you're creating a lot of most like highly targeted. Uh, SEO, uh, you know, focus pages, like what's the tactical steps to get that done? So I think a lot of it was kind of creating like a database that housed information for every single product. And then, you know, when you're creating the pages, you can do it systematically and kind of have it, you know, fill in the blank for, you know, for us, it's, you know, processor type, processor speed, RAM, hard drive, year, stuff like that. And I assume someone could do a similar thing in their industry and just kind of build out whatever those ABCD terms are and then have it, you know, create these pages for you and, you know, putting them up in a way that Google's going to read them, you know, make sure you have all your, you know, your tags and your H1, H2 headings and all that stuff. Right. And you know, over time, that's going to you know make you an authority in Google's eyes on all that type of content. Yeah. And again, I, I want to touch back on the, 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 um, you having those image assets that you're bringing over. And I think that one thing I've heard here and there, but not that, not that frequently is how much a Google search uh, for images is a, is a great kind of SEO strategy. Is that pl- play into what you do? Do people search for, you know, Apple products for the, through, through Google images? We haven't done that specifically, but I think where that the images do help us on Google is, um, with the with the merchant search, you know, people are trying to buy buy straight through Google mm-hmm. there that our images will pop up. So I think that's I think that has been helpful. What do you what do you recommend for the image search? Uh, no, I'm just saying like you have all these images, and I think that I've seen other other um, I can't I can think of maybe maybe been like uh, more. Um, CPG brands or like uh, I remember a coffee brand that I spoke to that all of their organic traffic or a lot of it was coming from people searching up specific beans and what they look like. So um, interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if it applies. I'm not sure how much people care about what does a you know 2.4 gigahertz laptop look like to the 3.0. <laughs> I'm sure it all looks the the same to them, but but just just curious if it, if it plays a role. At I, all. I have heard of people using memes uh, mm. to drive traffic, so maybe those could be something good for Google Image. Oh yeah, 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 maybe. Um, and is this the same strategy that you, you apply on the on the renewed Mac side? Like, are people coming to? Are they? They're putting in like you know a specific spec, and you guys are popping up high in search results. Not high enough yet, I would say. It's I feel like it's still like an adolescent, and we we have more work to do on it. Um, but that definitely is you know part of our strategy is trying to add more content there. We're putting up a blog post you know every week or so. And um, we're also doing a lot of Google AdWords on, um, for any kind of you know renewed or used device search when people are trying to buy. So I think a lot of our traffic on there is coming through Sell Your Mac. You know, when you're on SellYourMac.com, you can click you know buy an Apple device, and I'll take you right there. Um, I'm also driving a lot of traffic on there from my LinkedIn, and uh, the Google Ads probably makes up the majority of the rest. Makes sense. Now, now um, I'm curious, what is that kind of business relationship like with Apple? Is it, do they care what you're doing? Do they like say, hey, you know, are there, do you, I'm sure if anything has happened and you sign like a NDA, you can't tell us, <laughs> but if there's anything you can tell us, like, is it, cause I think other people that might be in a similar situation where they are kind of reselling a product and using maybe not, it's just not, it's not sell your apple.com, but it's, you know, you're using some flavor of their identity. Like how much say of Mac a, in there. Yeah, exactly. How, how much of a concern is that? 
So I've certainly had conversations with Apple. In general, they actually love what we're doing and they respect our place in the ecosystem. You know, on the on when we're buying stuff on Slayer Mac, you know, there's it's helping them uh, by you know funding new purchases for their customers. Mm. On the renewed Mac side, you know, we're probably more competing to to some extent, but I don't think they worry too much about you know competition. Um, and for the listeners, I think the biggest takeaway is being very careful about trademark terms, and you're allowed to use those in URLs. So companies can certainly, you know, tell you you're not, uh, you typically are allowed to do that, but you cannot use, uh, you know, the trademark terms in your logos and stuff like that. So if you make your website name, your logo, that can get you into trouble, but you should be always be able to put it in plain text. So that's what I recommend for there. And then have a separate logo as your actual business logo. Got it. That makes sense. Um, so now when you, I think one thing you mentioned to us about one of the challenges, and we kind of touched on this earlier, uh, about how can you be sure that you're kind of getting the right product when you're buying it from a bunch of, you know, millions of consumers, uh, is around this idea of fraud. What, 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 what kind of fraud are we talking about? Like, how is that impactful to, to your business? We are frauded uh, way too often. Uh, usually we snuff, we snuff them out and, you know, typically the fraud occurs when people are trying to send us something that's nothing like they described, you know, they'll send us like a random part from their house and tell us it was a $4,000 computer. So we're not going to, we're not going to pay anyone for something like that. And we've gotten, uh, you know, high end security people involved to, you know, refute, refute some of these issues that have popped up. Um, and then on the purchase side, the biggest issue we see is people taking parts out of the computer. You know, for instance, someone buys a high-end MacBook Pro and they take the logic board out and then they tell you it's you know bad and send it back. And those are a little bit harder uh, to refute. Um, but we've set up a lot of different fraud protection to try to help us out. So, you know, if people are, you know, scammers on the internet. I think the tech Shopify does a great job of detecting some of this stuff. And we've kind of dialed it to some of the uh, tougher settings. So, I mean, if a customer emails us and can't buy it, we can, you know, try to work with them and see if they're legitimate or not. But our goal is to stop, stop the fraud before it really happens. So, you know, it'll, our Shopify store will automatically cancel orders if it detects fraud, for example. So we'll never end up shipping it. Okay. So, so it sounds like there's some, maybe some kind of profiling where they can tell, it's, you know, maybe from the same person that's been fraud, uh, defrauding a bunch of other businesses and be able to identify them. Um, but um, do you also have like an internal process where a product comes to you when, when they're selling it to you that you guys are QAing it? Then when it, when it comes back from a return uh, from a, a, a oh, yes. max, like that sounds like a lot too, because again, your process, your <laughs> products are not normalized they're not standardized. So how do you staff or how do you have a process around that? So it's both on the, the technology and, um, and on the team side. So our, our, our tech stack will, you know, pull in all the information off the computer and then compare it to what the original quote was. And it'll look at every single spec. And if anything's mismatched, it'll, it'll flag it. So we can go back and, you know, review it. You know, sometimes it's in the customer's favor. They said it had a small hard drive. Turns out it had a, you know, huge one terabyte SSD. We'll actually pay them more money for it. But if it's, you know, the, the wrong year, wrong computer, uh, you know, we'll reach out to the customer directly and just tell them our findings, and, you know, show it to them. And, you know, most people are understanding they you know, enter they're wrong. They didn't know in the first place. And you know, typically we work all those out. I'd say most, you know, most people have good intentions and aren't, aren't trying to fraud us. Uh, 
So there's certainly some people that, you know, tell us, you know, we're wrong and we'll just send them back to them and not purchase it. Yeah. And I want to, I want you to go through this a thought experiment. If take you back all the way back to like 2008, before you started all this, if you knew the kind of fraud that you'd have to deal with and all this happening, would it have oh, stopped man. you from uh, <laughs> starting the business? Uh, there's one fraud in particular that almost put us out of business. Wow. So in hindsight, you know, maybe, uh, maybe knowing that would have scared me off, but I'm been an entrepreneur at heart, you know, basically my whole life. So I don't think it would have scared me, um, out of starting my own business, but maybe I would have been more cognizant of some of the frauds and put better processes in place to begin with. You know, one, uh, one huge fraud that happened, you know, we got, we got scammed on a huge overseas purchase. And the issue is that trying to win a lawsuit overseas, even when you win, you, it's almost impossible to collect. So, you know, people need to be very wary when they're sending wires to people, you know, even if it looks like it could be um, a legitimate company, you, you might get screwed unintentionally. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to tell people to use their credit card for everything they possibly can, which is something that I've done as a security measure. You know, if you're using an Amex, if there's ever a fraud, you, you can almost guarantee you're going to get your money back. You just, you know, fill out a form and you get the funds before the person can even dispute it practically. So I, if anything you have that's sketchy at all, you know, try to make sure you protect yourself. Got it. And, and just staying in this kind of space real quick, you, you, the, the kind of fraud or being scammed, whether it be maybe more so when it's on purpose, how do you handle this kind of emotionally? How do you make sure you're like, you're not, you know, whether it's with your, your particular industry, or I think a lot of other people that might get scammed or, or lied to from their manufacturers. And it's just like very devastating. Like, wow, you kind of lose a lot of trust in, in the, the yeah. business. How do you kind of handle it? Well, the one really major fraud that almost took us out, um, I did not handle it, you know, very well at the time. It was you know, super rough and sleepless nights and trying to figure out if we could, you know, continue or not. And ultimately, you know, having my you know, kind of friends and family, you know, rally around me and, you know, help tell me it's okay. And I'm going to get through it. It, you know, led, led me down a path to, you know, get back to work and, you know, find more deals. And it took me six years or so to actually pay off that debt. It was that serious. And, you know, back on track now, but you, you have to be that passionate, I think, about what you're doing or, you know, a big fraud would probably throw you off and you, you know, just close the business, say it's not worth it. But if you, if you have that, that passion to, you know, kind of see where you're going um, in the end, I think it'll help you out a lot when you're dealing with those tough times, whether it's fraud or just a, just a bad month, for example. Yeah. I mean, six, six years to kind of get back on track is definitely testing yeah. <laughs> how much, how passionate you are. So I want to know more about this. Like, what, what is it that, that where's your passion stem from? Like, what is it that you're passionate about specifically about, about being in this, this, this business? I love Apple products. I am definitely a big Apple fanboy. Uh, I've been using Apple since, since I was in grade school and I love the ecosystem, the ease of use, the, the privacy, the trusted devices, and they work so well together that I want everyone else to have that same experience. And I realized there's, you know, multiple types of people that not everyone can afford that device, but you know, hopefully I can sell them a renewed, new, renewed device now on our Shopify store 
And then people that want to, you know, trade in, you know, quickly can get good money back on their, you know, current devices that are only a few years old, for example. So I'm very pleased to play a part in that ecosystem to help everyone continuously get the latest and greatest Apple devices. Yeah, speaking of the latest and greatest, I'm assuming that the business is kind of seasonal that way where there's a release coming up or a release happens, you get an influx of like the older models coming in to sell your Mac. Like how, oh, yeah. do you, how does that play out? <laughs> The uh, product releases are very good for us. So I love to see when Apple comes out, a new laptop, you know, the M1, uh, M1 Pro mm-hmm. that just came out. Those, yep. those have been uh, selling like crazy. So a decent amount of trading coming in on those, on the you know, stuff that's only a few years old. Uh, this product release might've been more unique that we're seeing so many devices that are uh, incredibly new being resold. People are selling their 2020 MacBook Pro to get, get the new M1 and it's because it's that much of a leap in technology. Mm. I mean, significantly faster. And I, you know, kind of the same thing when the you know, new iPad Pro comes out and you know, stuff like that. You know, we we focus a lot on the Mac side, so we don't get quite as many new devices. Like when the new iPhone launch comes out, the you know the iPhone market is uh, really fragmented and crazy with how many offers are out there for you know even more than they're worth from the carriers and stuff like that. But the Mac releases do drive a lot of business. Mm. And what about, is there much, cro- I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of crossover where you have people selling their Mac and like when, when they're going to renewed Macs, they're the same kind of, I'm assuming same kind of customers in a lot of ways. Is there a lot of, yeah. is that, how do you kind of decide how you market to customers that you, well not customers, but maybe contacts that you've acquired on the sell your Mac side that are, you know, probably great customers on the renewed Mac side? We, we try to kind of cross brand on either site. So, you know, when you're on sell your Mac, you see a button to buy renewed. When you're on renewedmacs.com, it's a button in the corner that says, you know, powered by sellermac.com. Um, and when each customer is doing a transaction, there is like, you know, marketing materials and stuff that mention our other sister website. And I would love in the future at some point to have it, you know, fully integrated that someone can buy and sell at the, at the same cart level. Mm. Uh, but that's something that we haven't really, you know, dove into yet. But that'd be really cool if they can get a you know credit at the same time they're buying another renewed device. Yeah, that, that that's yeah, I can see that being much more seamless for me not to yeah. shell out cash or maybe not shell out as much cash. I can just say you know take my save, uh, save half your money right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so I want to kind of circle back real quick to to the fraud thing because I think it leads into one of the the areas of focus that have helped you the most, which is uh, being focused on being the the tr- the the a lot of trust or the most trusted, highest rated in your in your industry. Um, when you are looking to kind of build that kind of trust, uh, how do you maybe balance the two where you, or maybe, maybe they're actually very uh, in line with each other. How do you make sure that you're building the, the trust with, with customers? Like, what does that mean? Like, how do you actually build trust with your, with your, your, your market? For us, building trust is like always being available you know, if you send us a message, we want to get back to you as fast as humanly possible. And I think by, you know, staying closer to the customer through quick messages and answering the phone and stuff like that, it, it builds a lot of trust. You know, I think a lot of times someone will call the business just to see if someone answers the phone and that's all they need to know to know that it was legitimate or not. Um, also really trying to, you know, showcase on the website, you know, our, our proof sources of, you know, different rankings, whether it's, you know, uh, Google reviews or reseller ratings or, you know, Facebook ratings and stuff like that. So just trying to showcase the customer, you know, as much as we can that a lot of people have trusted us before. So, you know, hopefully you trust us going forward. 
Mm, makes sense. Uh, and are, do you see, so th- th- I think, I think being super responsive makes a lot of sense. I think is an area that I think lots of entrepreneurs can kind of, you know, take it and run with. Do you, do you have any particular um, areas that you see other businesses, or maybe small businesses trip up when it comes to customer service that you think are easy things to kind of fix or at least uh, low hanging fruit to fix? I think there's a lot of times that small businesses just don't get back, you know, as quickly as they, as they could. And I think if you can't, um, you know, answer the messages, you know, on a timely basis, maybe putting an away message up, that just says, you know, we'll get back to you in 24 hours, for example, you know, if you don't answer emails on the weekends, you know, tell your customers that, let them know what kind of when to expect their response. And that's something that we, you know, did put up that we, you know, value our, you know, team members and their families and that we don't answer emails on Saturday and Sunday, you know, typically. So they're not like waiting for a response. If they have a problem, they wake up at, you know, 10 AM, they, they know they need to wait till Monday to hear back from us. Um, so just setting the right expectations, I think is probably the biggest thing, but you know, it's like when I started out, I was answering customer service emails in the middle of the night and I would wake up and it was because I just wanted people to get that you know immediate response to know that we're there to help them. So as long as you're communicating, you know, the speed that you're expecting to get help, I think that's going to help out a lot. Yeah. And speaking of, of more about building this trust, I think at least on Sell Your Mac, you have the amount cash paid out for devices. And I just was testing, so I just refreshed the page and actually did change the number actually went up. So <laughs> as of right now, as of the recording, over $46 million uh, paid out for, for devices. And do you have numbers on just like the, the growth of the business overall from both Sell Your Mac and I guess more so on the the, the 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 demand side, on the selling side, on renewed Max and on the platforms that you sold to. Give us an idea of like how quickly, how large the company has grown since inception. So on the renewed Max side, we're doing about a hundred thousand a month in sales there right now. And you know, when we first started the website probably about a year and a half ago or so. I mean, we were only doing you know, a few thousand dollars a month, um, you know, five, $5,000 a month, the first month, you know, maybe up to 2025 within two months. So, you know, grown it pretty significantly since then. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, this is only one of our sales channels, so it couldn't be our hundred percent focus, but we do know that we want to get more people to this website, just not trying to spend a ton of money doing that, you know, so trying to figure out how we you know keep, keep growing organically and stuff like that. Um, and you know, we, we have high expectations for this in the future. I'd love to get this up to a million dollars a month at some point. And, you know, we're, we're still learning Shopify and all the great features and integrations it has. So I think we're going to get there. Yeah. I mean, going from, you know, a couple thousand a month to a hundred thousand a month, this is a huge leap in that, that, that kind of time frame. Were there certain inflection points where you change something, change a marketing strategy or something that made a, a big kind of uh, jump in, in that, in that revenue? Getting more devices up there was really helpful. At, at first, we only started off with our kind of A, B, excellent tier devices. And we realized that there was a lot of people looking for a little bit more of a lower cost option. So then we did add the, the C grade, more fair condition devices on there. And I think that really increased our sales. Um, so just making sure you have something for all the types of consumers is the way to go. I think, um, you know, one of the, the, uh, maybe counterpoints to that I've heard about kind of having different pricing tiers is that when it comes to a product that's like, even though, even though you're super transparent, say this is not, this is C grade, this is not the A grade product, you know, you kind of know what you're getting. 
are there more kind of not complaints, but like more returns, like more difficulties with selling a, you know, again, still transparent, but still a lower tier product? I don't know 100% offhand what the percentages on returns on the, the fair versus the excellent, but I my gut says that there are more returns on the fair. And in general, I think people tend to complain about you know, a, a scratch or a dent here that isn't specifically listed because it's more of a generic description that says, you know, it might have a dent. Um, and then someone gets in and it's not in a place that they're comfortable with. So I think they might return it for that reason. So, you know, we definitely prefer to sell the excellent ones. And that's why we started the store that way is we wanted to have the best experience out of the gate. And we didn't want anyone, you know, upset with the condition of their item. Makes sense. And and is there like a, because you're familiar, you mentioned how it's very seasonal around these product releases and there's probably lots of data you have on how soon people want a, a new laptop. Is there a marketing, like a retention marketing thing you have going on where, you know, at the one year mark, you know, customers are ready to buy another Mac. Like, do you try to, is there, is that, is that built into your kind of marketing channel to like know when to prompt or ask people, do they want to buy or sell their device? That is a great idea, Felix. And we have a conversation with someone later today, actually, about doing some SMS marketing uh, with our Shopify store. And I think that's kind of the direction that we're leaning is, you know, hitting people up at that exact right point. Because, you know, typically, you know, someone upgrades their computer every three to five years, upgrade their phone every two to three years. So you can kind of go around some of those those timestamps and you know, reach out accordingly. And sometimes people just might need a little bit of a nudge. I mean, if you just told them you had this great deal in stock or you had this great offer to buy it back at a you know, special bonus, I think sometimes that can go a long way. So the combination of the, the right timing and the right offer, I think, is mm. key. And I'm not sure. I'm sure that this exists in your data somewhere, but would you know offhand, do you see people buying like a, a product going through your system multiple times where they buy from Renewed Max and sell it back and then kind of make its rounds like from the same device? Yeah, no, we absolutely do. That's and we, cool. you know, we have prom promo code set up that, you know, we know it comes from the website. Hey, real quick. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now let's get back to the interview. That's awesome. Now, I want to talk about a completely different kind of sales channel. And we kind of talked about this off air, which is around how you've been using LinkedIn to grow your business or businesses. Tell us more about what's going on there. We focused a lot on, you know, personal branding and, you know, building way more content for LinkedIn the last couple of years. And it's gotten a lot of, lot of traction that now I'm getting, you know, average posts gets probably 500 likes. Some of them are up to 25, 30,000 now. And that's driving a, a ton of views and trying to convert those views um, into, into website visits. So, you know, typically I recommend having a extremely engaging video and then dropping a link that doesn't seem salesy to your, to your store, for example. So it's all about making it kind of fun for the customer, but then you're also giving them the ability to, you know, check out your business. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I'm looking at LinkedIn right now on your profile. Oh, oh, almost cracking 100,000 followers. So, you know, whoever's listening, make sure you, you follow Brian to get him to that number. But I had 10,000 at the beginning of the year. So wow. I have 10x. So tell us more about the strategy because, um, you know, when I think about, okay, you're, again, selling, um, you know, Apple devices. Like, why would us personal branding matter when it comes to, or rather, why is it helpful uh, when it comes to selling pretty much anything, I guess? It just helps you get in front of more people and, you know, building a, a trusted audience. They're going to be interested in whatever I have. So, you know, 
as I've grown over time, I'm, you know, I'm seeing the ability to post stuff that might be a little bit more salesy, but actually get a little bit of action on it. Uh, so whether I'm, you know, raising money for a charity or, or trying to sell a Mac, uh, just getting those views up has been very helpful and it takes a long time. I mean, I've been posting at least twice a day now for three years. And finally this year, seeing a really massive uptick on my LinkedIn. Um, so whoever's listening, you know, you got to stick with it. It's a definitely a long-term strategy to, to grow a lot on there, but it's, you know, very fruitful land and you can use it for all your businesses. So whether I'm buying or selling a Mac or I'm you know promoting um, my LinkedIn coaching or workshops, you, know, you can kind of do it all. So how, what's the, the content strategy and how much is it like, Hey, buy from or sell your Mac or buy from our renewed Macs versus like how, what's the, what's the kind of spectrum of very salesy to like just pure content? Like what's, where do you try to land? I would say only 10 to 20% is salesy and maybe the 10% is a little bit more direct. And then 10% is more of a soft sell and then 80% nothing to do with sales at all really just giving people the content that they want. You need to think about what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. And then when you finally do make that, that post at 10%, that's more salesy. Your audience isn't really offended because they liked the last nine, like the last nine posts you did were actually okay. So they're not, they're not offended. You're being salesy now once in a while, but you know, the people you see that are trying to sell you and every single post they make, you know, you're not going to be liking their content for very long. Yeah. And when it's just, again, a non-salesy content that the other 80%, is it related to Apple products? Like what is the, the relation to your businesses? I do find some content that's, you know, kind of fun, you know, Apple stuff. Uh, you know, today I got a video prepped of someone coring an Apple in a really fun way. So it's kind of the, the really subtle reminder about, you know, using Apple um, but a lot of it could be like related to just like technology, for example, like these futuristic, you know, cars that look like they might be an Apple car, but they're not, you know, that's just kind of a reminder that, you know, I'm selling technology and, you know, helps clue my audience and the, you know, kind of the overall industry I'm in, but not specific to what I'm actually doing. Yeah. So, so when you had, when you started, uh, posting on LinkedIn, did you know that this was the kind of the right sales channels? I think, you know, people out there might be thinking, oh, my business doesn't really make sense for, for LinkedIn is kind of the, I think, uh, immediate uh, response for someone that might not do it. What's your, I'm sure you have the same thing from, from your clients that might want to work with you. What's your response to that? Is that, is that ever accurate? I would say that you can sell almost anything on LinkedIn. I mean, the fact that the LinkedIn audience now is 750 million, I'd have to assume that your buyer is there somewhere. Uh, so it's really just find, trying to figure out the right type of content that's going to you know reach them that they're going to resonate with, you know. And you know, for my audience, it's kind of inspirational and fun, but that can you know vary for for everyone. You know, if you have a very tech specific product, and like maybe you're just posting about you know tech and innovation all the time. And then people, you know, follow you that are into that. And then you happen to have, you know, tons of people in your network that, you know, are your potential potential buyers in there. Makes sense. Um, so, so when you are, uh, I guess, uh, working with your clients and, and where can they go to find out more about your specific LinkedIn uh, services? 
they can go to briantheMacman.com. Awesome. So when they go there and they're their client of yours, what is the the strategy? Give us like the high level or then whatever you can share about someone that maybe has a LinkedIn profile, has like, you know, 150 people right now that they're connected to, but they want to give it a serious effort. Like what's involved in kind of kicking things, getting things going uh, from that kind of stage? Ooh, we could do a whole podcast just on this. So I'll try to hit a couple high level things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the biggest thing is trying to really hone your profile. I mean, having a photo that is uh, trusted as your profile picture, you know, you need to be looking to the camera, smiling, your eyes open. You, you need to make sure it pops. You know, most of the time the pictures are very bland and you, know, you can use a, a filter or, you know, make the photo, uh, you know, in Photoshop or something like that to make sure it really pops with a certain color. Um, I also recommend, you know, having a headline that is intriguing, you know, so for me, I talk about buying, you know, $46 million of Apple devices and that leads to so many clicks So people just want to learn more. They have no idea what I do, but they're intrigued and they want to, they want to learn more. So once they land on your profile, you need to make sure, um, that you have a cover photo and an about story that, that really talks about, you know, your business in an interesting way. So like for me, my, my cover photo is my, my team, but in the middle of it, it says, I want to buy your Apple devices. So thinking about the cover photo, kind of like a billboard, you know, it could be your team, your, your company building, whatever it is. But, you know, thinking about, you know, if someone only could read it for three seconds so they can understand what your business does. Um, and then telling your story in your about section, I would recommend kind of a blend of, you know, personal and business. You know, people want to know about who you are as a human, not just that you're a salesperson. So, you know, tell them your hobbies and stuff like that. And you know, hopefully they're going to resonate uh, kind of learning about your hobbies and who you are. And then close with a call to action. You know, what do you want people to do? A lot of times you visit someone's profile, you don't even know how to buy, how to buy from them, for example. So, you know, give them the link, tell them, tell them what you'd like them to do. So I think in, you know, multiple places in my profile, people know that I buy and sell Apple, you know, don't, don't try to hide what you're doing. Yeah. And I think one of the, the, the unique situations that you're in that I've seen here and there as well is that you start a business, right? Sell your Mac, renewed Macs, and then you realize you have a particular expertise in growing this business, right? LinkedIn is the one for you. I think other people might maybe find a lot of success with TikTok or Facebook ads or whatnot. And they see that, okay, this is something that they can, uh, you know, offer to the world. They can build another business on top of this expertise. Tell us more about like how the, this transition or not transition really, but like how this new addition to your kind of repertoire, how your businesses how do you do this in a kind of a skillful way? I seemingly add a new business every two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm keeping the trend going this year by, you know, starting to offer these uh, LinkedIn classes and workshops. You know, I, I guess I realized I had such a knack for growing on LinkedIn. I wanted to share that, share that gift with people. So I, I first started by becoming a, a Vistage speaker which and Vistage is like a CEO roundtable group around the world, and so that got my name out to a lot of these different you know business groups, and I started getting some clients from that. And then I realized that I didn't have any place to tell people where to go to learn more about me. I was just you know, sending them an email um, with like you know a couple paragraphs of you know text copy, and that's that's when I decided I need to build this Shopify store for my personal personal brand and my classes. I want to make sure they can land somewhere and you know learn more about it. And, you know, buy directly from there. I don't have to send them any of their invoices or, you know, PayPal links or anything like that. 
Um, so I think just, you know, as you're thinking about new ideas, the, the ease to start that Shopify store, you know, pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. And I can go in and edit my own pages and I'm, you know, paying for the the lowest tier, the $30 a month. So there's not much hard cost to, you know, kind of get going, fortunately. So I definitely recommend kind of people segmenting out their, their different businesses um, on individual websites, make people understand exactly what they're doing and not trying to, you know, push all the same offerings you yeah. have on one website, for example. Yep. And speaking of doing all that, so sellyourmac.com, renewedmax.com, brianthemacman.com. And <laughs> I want to leave you this last question, which is that, so you got a bunch of things going on, a bunch of businesses going on, you know, two years from now, you're going to start another one. Uh, what do you think though is exactly. the one area of focus that you want to uh, devote time, energy into to kind of get your businesses as a whole to, to the next level? I would say continuing to focus on the LinkedIn and the branding as the MacMan. And that'll allow me to launch other, you know, Apple related businesses mm-hmm. in the future and really help me, uh, you know, do larger deals as we go. You know, I'm winning business, you know, almost every day on LinkedIn. I have, you know, hot leads coming into my inbox from, from my content. And it's a lot about people just, you know, seeing my, my headline, for example, and, you know, learning more about me than sending me a message about it. And I think by creating a market presence for yourself like that, you'll have opportunities, you know, for many years to come and then have the ability to launch, you know, more businesses off of that, you know, whether they're hundred percent related or not. But yeah, I think the, the branding as the Mac man is, is the way to go. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and story with us, Brian. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good to talk to everyone here and I hope they connect with me and I can help them out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.